When somebody asks you to introduce yourself, uh, what is it that you say? How do you most frequently identify who you are, what it means, you know, to be you? A lot of times if we're in public environments, you know, the proverbial sitting on a stranger or sitting uh, next to a stranger on a plane, hopefully you're not sitting on the stranger, but next to the stranger on the plane, the typical question that often gets asked is, so what is it that you do? And kind of the idea embedded in that is that something core to our identity has to do with the contribution that we make economically and culturally to society, that we are at some level identified with our productivity. That's not always true, though. I think sometimes, and this in a lot of environments online, even in people's bios, that people like to identify them as so and themselves as so and so spouse and father to so and so and so and so and so and so. They they kind of there is this sense that a fundamental part of my identity is connected to the people that I am in ongoing relationship with. I was in a meeting once. And it was led by an indigenous man who asked us to introduce ourselves. But he said, I want you to introduce yourself in a very specific way. I want you to first tell me who your grandparents are and what land they were connected to, what land claims them. And then tell me who your parents are and what land claims them. And then tell me who you are. Because he explained to us in indigenous cultures, it is often the case that our identity is not primarily rooted in what we do or the relationships of our immediate family. Our identity is rooted in who we are from and where we are from. But what if I were to tell you that there is something fundamental to our identity, to who we are, that comes from a completely different perspective altogether? What if I were to tell you that some part of your essential identity is rooted in your relationship with God and maybe even specifically in your relationship to the Ten Commandments? We introduced this series last week and we started to talk about what the Ten Commandments are and what they aren't. And we we specifically said the Ten Commandments are not like rules that we have to follow to earn God's love and approval. That's, That's not what these are. We talked about how the Ten Commandments are not a comprehensive Christian morality that tells you what to do in every scenario. It's more of a of an aspiring vision for the kind of person you want to be. The Ten Commandments are not the sort of zero-sum game that either you get perfect on this quiz or God is going to fail you. That, that What I said last week is that the Ten Commandments are kind of analogous to wedding vows that we make with God, that rooted in God's unconditional saving love for us, and our unconditional, grateful love for God, they are an aspirational vision of who we want to be for God, who we want to be as an act of love to God. And they capture the shape of that who, that identity, in the way they describe what it looks like to love God and to love people as an act of covenant love 
to God. They are, at their core, a description of who we want to be. And I think the passage we're going to look at this morning, in some essential way, unpacks that idea a little bit more of what the who looks like by exposing the fact that our identity is intimately tied to the way we live in relationship with God, especially to the degree that we live a Ten Commandments shaped life. In Exodus 19, verse 5, I read this verse last week. I'll read it again. It says, so now, if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possession out of all the peoples. Did, Did you catch that relationship? God says to Israel, if you will faithfully obey If you will stay true to this covenant of love, then you will become. That our identity at some essential level, in some foundational way, is rooted in our covenant faithfulness to God. It's not dissimilar to the analogy that I used last week. Um, In when I, in 2004... Uh, stood at the altar and exchanged vows with Krista, I became her husband. And it did change something fundamental about my identity to be in covenant relationship with Krista. When in 2006, we had our first child, I became dad um, in a way that fundamentally changed who I am because of my relationship with this child. When in 1997, I agreed to become a pastor in this church, it fundamentally changed who I am because of my covenant relationship with this community. Our relationships change our identity. Now, only to the degree that we live them, not to the degree that we claim them, right? Like it's not exchanging vows with Krista that that makes my identity Krista's husband or a part of my identity as Krista's husband. It's not calling myself dad that makes me fundamentally a dad. It's not um, signing a work contract that fundamentally makes me a pastor. It's not the degree to which I commit to these things verbally. It is the degree to which I live them with my life. Before I was a Uh, a pastor. I graduated from the University of Waterloo as an electrical engineer, but that's never become a part of my identity because I immediately went to seminary and started working at the church. I never lived my engineering identity. And so it's not a part of who I am. Our identities are formed not by what we say they are, but by how we live them in the world. I become a dad by lovingly fathering my daughters. I become a pastor by loving the community. I become a a husband by loving Krista. If I were to not live these identities, they would not be identity to me, right? If I were just to decide, I I don't feel like living as a husband to Krista, um, I would very quickly discover that I'm probably not going to be a husband to Krista. And the same is true in our relationship with God. It's not 
We're not in covenant relationship with God in an essential way because we prayed a prayer once when we were a kid or because we got baptized at one point in our journey or because we have a certain set of beliefs about who God is and who we are and who Jesus is and so on. We are in covenant relationship with God. That becomes a part of our identity in as much as we live it. And so what is the identity that we uh, live into if we fully obey and are faithful to the covenant of love with God. Well, in Exodus 19.5, that passage we already read, it tells us that we become God's precious possession. In Hebrew, that phrase um, simply means we become God's property, God's personal or private property. Um, which doesn't actually say a whole lot because the Bible tells us that the whole earth is God's and everything and everything is God's private property. Whatever you drove to church today is God's private property or whatever you're watching, whatever screen you're watching the service on is God's private property. God owns the whole earth and everything in it. So what it means is that we are God's personal possession in a way that other things aren't. In fact, um, the verse actually says, out of all of the peoples, we will be God's. We will be God's treasured possession. We will be God's prized possession. We will be the apple of God's eye. We will be the crown jewel of God's collection. We will be something special and significant and deeply personal to God in the way that God says to us, you are mine. It is uh, a deeply personal, deeply loving identity for God to say, you belong to me. Um, if you read through the verses around this one, there's seven times in those verses that God uses personal pronouns, I and my and mine and me. God is talking about how deeply and personally God has been involved in loving Israel into freedom from slavery and how personally and intimately God has brought Israel to God's self and now how deeply and personally God is claiming Israel as God's own. When we live a Ten Commandments-shaped life, faithfully obeying and staying true to our covenant relationship with God, we are God's prized possession, which God has claimed as God's own. I think that's hard for some of us to process. We spent the entire service last week um, pulling out all the stops to try and open up a space where we could hear from God just how deeply we are loved. And I think that there are a lot of people who struggle believing that they are that deeply loved by God. And maybe in part because the verse says, if you fully obey or if you faithfully obey, and our instinct is to say, oh, but I haven't faithfully obeyed. God couldn't possibly love me and adore me and deeply and lovingly claim me as God's own because God knows who I've been and God knows what I've done and I'm sure God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And that is just not true at all. I, you, you don't have to get perfect on the exam to get a gold star. I, I, am, I am not 
Krista's prized possession, assuming that I am. I'm not Krista's prized possession because I'm a perfect husband. And she is not my prized possession because she's a perfect wife. My kids are not my prized possession because they're perfect. And I'm, as a dad, I'm not their prized possession because I'm a perfect dad. And I am not a perfect pastor. And none of that matters. Because the reason that we are each other's prized possession is not because we do it perfectly, but because we are fundamentally committed to this covenant of love that we share with each other, that that is the driving force. What God wants is not perfection, but direction. Now, I think there are some of us who have probably steered into the ditch on the other side of the road and said, well, I know God loves me, and I know God's grace, and I know God is forgiving, and I trust in all of that, so it doesn't matter how I live. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, should we you know, continue to sin just because God is so loving? He says, may it never be that we, we know, God knows, God can see our commitment to faithfulness in our relationship with God by the way that we live. You, you cannot say, I'm disinterested in loving you as a friend and just trust that you're going to continue to love me as a friend. It doesn't work that way. But this is what God says, if we are committed to staying true in our covenant relationship of love with God by living a Ten Commandments shaped life, that we are God's prized possession. Now, why? What does that mean to be God's prized possession? What is it that God prizes so much? Well, it goes on to tell us at the end of verse 5 and into verse 6. It says, the whole earth belongs to me. You will be a kingdom of priests for me. The whole earth belongs to me. You will be a kingdom of priests for me. God says, if you live in covenant faithfulness of love, by living a Ten Commandments shaped life, the thing that I love about who you become is that you become a community of priests for the rest of the world. And what does that mean to be a, a community of priests? Well, what is it that a priest or a pastor does? What does it mean to be a priest or a pastor? A priest or pastor mediates between God and people in some functional way. And I say that kind of with a couple of caveats. Number one, the Bible says the only mediator we need is Jesus Christ, and that's true. But it is also true that there are people who play that role in a tangible way with skin on in our lives, and that priests and pastors are supposed to be the people that we can most count on to play that role. And and I say that kind of theoretically because so many priests and pastors have been so bad at playing that role that people actually end up losing faith in God because of their interactions or the way they observe how people are being priests and, and pastors. If you bear the name of God, you represent God into the world, but you do that badly, why would anyone want to have anything to do with God? But, but here's what Moses is saying. If you will live in covenant faithfulness in the Ten Commandments, shape life, you will be priests for me in the world. You will be the people who, who draw close to me 
and bring the world into my presence. And you will be the people who draw close to the peoples of the world and bring my loving presence into a concrete expression in their lives. You will build the bridge between heaven and earth, between the sacred and the profane. You will be those who bridge the gap between God and people. What does that look like to play that role? Well, on the one hand, Priests are people who are set apart to draw close to God and to bring the world into God's presence. I think in a, in a couple of ways, I mean, figuratively, to bring the world into God's presence in prayer, lifting up the world before God in prayer and praying that God's loving presence would invade the entire world, would flood the world. But I think there's a literal aspect to that too, literally bringing people who are not yet a part of the community into God's presence as we gather for worship, as we gather as community together so that, so that we can be people who accurately discern what God is like and point other people towards Jesus. We, we draw people into the presence of God. And simultaneously, we are people who bring the presence of God into the world, people who represent what God is like in concrete expression where the world can see it, people who live their lives to serve and to bless the world with the same faithfulness and compassion and justice with which God has loved us, to be people who by our lives and our presence point people to Jesus. God says, if, if you live faithfully in covenant relationship of love, living a Ten Commandments kind of a life, you'll be my prized possession because you will become priests for the world, drawing people into God's presence and God's presence into the lives of people. But in order to do that, there's one more thing that has to be true. Back to um, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, it says, um, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In order to be priests, we have to be holy. What does that mean? Well, it means two things. The word holy, on the one hand, means to be set apart or to be singled out from all of the others as uniquely suitable for the purpose. I have about uh, two or three dozen Bibles at home. I'm not short on Bibles. And yet for this morning, I singled out this Bible. I set it apart from all the other ones as uniquely suitable for preaching Exodus chapter 19 this morning. It's, it's to set apart as different or unique. And at the same time, it means to be set apart. It means to be sanctified, to be made usable, usable because it conforms to the requirements to be used, right? If this Bible that I brought today, if the spine was broken and pages were falling out and Exodus was mix, missing, it wouldn't be usable to me. If, if it was in Latin, it wouldn't be usable to me. If it was the Koran, it wouldn't be usable to me to preach the book of Exodus. This, this book is uniquely qualified it's uniquely usable. It meets the standards that I have to be able to use it for my purposes. But God says, if you live a life in faithful covenant, 
a Ten Commandments shaped life, you will be holy. What he means is you will be different than everybody else. We will put on display for the world a life and a way of being community together, a way of loving each other that the world doesn't see anywhere else. The world will see something different in us that makes us usable for God's purpose in the world. After the Ten Commandments, there are three or four chapters that we'll look at later in the spring um, where Moses describes some specific instructions that um, help describe what it looks like to live out the Ten Commandments in day-to-day life. And these commandments in that section, they cover every aspect of life, social welfare and employment law and disability rights. They talk about how we speak about each other, about health and safety, about race uh, equality, about um, integrity in the way that we conduct our business, about neighborly relationships. They describe in every area of life what it looks like to be holy, to be different than the rest of the world in a way that puts God's character on display. Because if we are holy, then we are qualified to be God's priests in the world. Those who mediate, bringing the presence of God into the world and bringing the world into the presence of God so that everyone can experience God's love. And to the degree that we play that role, we are God's prized possession among all the peoples, the apple of God's eye. Because as God's holy people, playing the role of priests for the world, we can bring the entire world into relationship of love with God. If, friends, as we get into the Ten Commandments next week, if we are committed to living a Ten Commandments-shaped life as an act of faithfulness in relationship of love to God, We will be different in a way that will have an impact on the rest of the world that will bring joy to the heart of God. And that is who we most truly are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is your prized possession, your beloved son, as the New Testament says over and over again. We thank you for Jesus, who is the high priest, the chief priest, the one who leads all of the rest of us and shows us what it looks like to bring the world into your presence and your presence into the world. We thank you for Jesus, who is the holy one that you sent into the world, the one who most perfectly puts on display what your love looks like, and what it looks like to be a genuine human being. And we thank you that because of Jesus, we can become people who live in faithfulness to loving covenant with you by living a Ten Commandments-shaped life that brings joy to your heart. Would you do that in us, we pray. Amen.